Hello friends, Tom here from wherever you are tuning in. I just want to welcome you. We are now in week seven in our series uh, entitled Teach Us to Fast, where we've been exploring uh, the rewards of biblical fasting. And if you've been with us, what we've been doing is kind of each week, we've been taking a look at different examples that we see in the scriptures of the people of God fasting and praying with specific agendas. And then we've been kind of like engaging in those same agendas, fasting for those same agendas together as a church each week for 24 hours. Uh, I must say, for me personally, it's been a very rich season of engaging in this, man, this incredible spiritual discipline of fasting. Uh, We've defined fasting as not just skipping meals. Uh, Fasting is foregoing food, yes, but it's foregoing food for the purpose of feasting on God. It's a it's, a, it's an act of faith, of, of trusting in God, saying, like, I'm, I'm more than just a physical being with a physical body, with a physical appetite, with physical needs. I'm also a spiritual being with a spiritual appetite, with a spiritual hunger, with spiritual needs, and crying out to God in prayer and fasting. It's been, it's been really, really helpful for me, and hopefully it's been helpful for you. Now, today is actually going to be our final message in this series. So we're going to wrap up the series today. With this topic, with this purpose, I should say, this agenda of fasting for our nation. Now, I want you to just take a, a quick moment and consider the, the times that we're in. Consider this cultural moment that we're currently living in. Now, um, depending on when you're tuning into this, uh, currently at the time of this recording, uh, we have been in a global pandemic of which seemingly America has been leading the way in this. <clears throat> Uh, for eight months now, okay, eight months. We've 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 dealt with lockdowns. We've dealt with 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 businesses closing and then opening and then closing. Many of you have been struggling with that. I know many of you uh, trying to figure out what to do with your business and how to handle all this stuff and the complexities involved with that. It's been really really hard, really really challenging, and for many of us, very frustrating. There's been a whole lot of economic uncertainty with this pandemic. Like I said, businesses closing, people losing their jobs. Uh, unemployment rates being really, really high and uncertainty and even fear that goes along with uh, the, the state of our economy right now. Education is a mess right now. I mean, for those of you teachers and students, I just want to like applaud you. Uh, man, so many of you are doing the best you can to make lemonade out of lemons. And this has been a very challenging situation with education. I know that especially you teachers are doing the best you can. You moms and dads with kids at home trying to do school at home. It's been wild. Education's been a mess. Um, I feel like pretty much everything in life has just kind of been upended. And then you add to that the actual virus itself and, and, and the fear and the worry that is gripping so many people with this COVID-19 pandemic. Not only have we been dealing with a pandemic as a country for, you know, as a world really, but focusing on our nation today, but not only have we, have we been dealing with this pandemic for eight months, man, there is so much political unrest right now in our country. Goodness, man, people are frustrated and angry on both sides of the political aisle, okay? And frankly, for good reason. And it feels like it's only intensifying the closer we come to election day, which Right now, as I'm recording this, Election Day is this coming Tuesday. So it's coming up quick, and it feels like this unrest politically has just been kind of like snowballing the closer we get to Election Day. And I'd be lying to you if I said I'm not concerned 
about what's going to happen post-election day, regardless of who wins. Whether there is a Republican in office or a Democrat, whether it's Trump or Biden or, or, or a slew of other, um, of other politicians that are running for various offices in their, in their, in their, in their respective states, like, I am concerned. I am concerned about what's going to happen post-election day, as I know many of you are, because of the current climate in our country. We have huge issues right now regarding race relations, racism, especially our brothers and sisters in the black community, other people of color, uh, huge kind of issues regarding policing and the complexities of how race and policing intersect. I know it's a really tough topic. The list goes on and on and on. You don't need me to talk. You, you know, if you're watching this and you have a pulse, you know that America right now, there is so much up in the air, so much unrest. But the common denominator is that America is divided on many levels, and all of which are complicated, they're complex. And, and what's interesting is that the country's not like, it's not simply divided on issues. It's more than just disagreement. There's hostility, man. There's a ton of hostility. It, where like the other opinion, you know, the opinion that, that you don't share, the other person's opinion or the other, other side, they're not just wrong, like they're the enemy. Ton of hostility. The enemy, that enemy that needs to be defeated. So this hostility that we face right now as a nation, this division, it's frankly tearing our nation apart. Now, I was gonna, it's funny, God has a way of changing things up. Uh, he, 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 I believe he has a sense of humor in that regard, but he has a way of changing things up on us, on me. Uh, and it's funny, I was planning on looking at a story from Second Chronicles chapter 20 with you right now, um, where the people of God, they fast and they experience breakthrough and it's amazing. And that's an important passage of scripture, don't get me wrong. But I feel, like I said, I feel like God's changing things up on us. Uh, I feel like I want to share something uh, kind of in a slightly different direction, although really important. I want to highlight something specific with you right now. Today, what I want to do for the rest of my time is I want to look at a moment in the life of Jesus where fasting plays an important role in how Jesus fights and who Jesus fights. So if you have a, if you have a Bible nearby, why don't you grab that and flip over to Luke chapter 4 while you're flipping there. Uh, we'll have the words on the screen for you as well, but if you have a Bible, it's always important to grab that. I want to pray for us before we jump into the scriptures, okay? So from wherever you're tuning in, would you, would you join me in prayer? Uh, Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that no matter, um, no matter where we are, you are with us. You're present and you're good. You're unchanging in all of your ways, perfectly holy, perfectly loving, perfectly just. So Holy Spirit, I ask for your peace right now to come upon us to help us to kind of like hear your voice clearly. Would you be with me now? I really want to serve and honor the, the, the precious people that are tuning in right now. Um, yeah, would you lead this time? Would you bless us with your presence? Would you transcend space and time? Uh, I don't have to do all this digitally right now, but would you transcend space and time to bless us with more of your presence right now? We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so... Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit. 
So track with me, okay? Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says this, Then Jesus left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, here's the purpose, to be tempted by the devil. So he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. And it says this, He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. Jesus is fasting here for 40 days, okay? So the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days. Now, again, when we talk about this idea of fasting, we're not just skipping meals. It's more than that. That's, that's at worst starvation and, or at best dieting, right? We're talking about this idea of foregoing food to feast on God. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual act, right? It's a, it, fasting is an act of faith, an act of trusting in God. It, I need you spiritually, as much or more as I need you physically, or as, as much or more as I need food physically. Okay, so Jesus, he's fasting for 40 days. Now, really quickly, I want you to see something here. We see a huge element of biblical fasting here, and that is this. The length of our fast, so how long we fast, the length of our fast should correspond to the severity of our need. Okay, so in other words, the larger the need, the longer the fast. Okay, so Jesus fasted 40 days that he must have been facing a really big need. Okay, 40 days is a long time to go without food. And it tells us here that, that he was tempted by the devil. All right, now this is probably a familiar story to many of you watching, but either way, I want you to track with me. There's going to be three temptations specifically that we're going to see here. Okay, so listen in. Let's keep going. Verse 3, the devil said to him, him being Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. Okay, there's the first temptation, all right? The first temptation is this, for Jesus to use his power to satisfy his physical hunger. But Jesus does something different. He clearly is more concerned about his spiritual hunger than he is even his physical hunger. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, jump back in in verse 5. So he, being Satan, took him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And listen to how Jesus answers him. Answers him. He says this, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Okay, that's the second temptation. All right? Friends, Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, the, the, the Savior, the promised Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. And upon his return, his second coming, post-death, post-resurrection, post-ascension, Jesus' second coming, right? And upon his return, He's going to rule over everything, all right? So what's happening here is Satan is tempting Jesus with, with a bit of a shortcut, if you will, okay? A shortcut to the kind of worldwide authority that's coming for Jesus. So in other words, here's what I want you to see. Satan is tempting Jesus with bypassing the cross, okay? With, with, with skipping the suffering and handing over this worldwide authority to him. But again, Jesus' priority is the spiritual over the physical. He chooses the spiritual redemption of others 
over his physical comfort. All right, let's keep going. Verse 9. So Satan took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, now Satan's starting to, to, to quote Scripture, but he's going to distort it a bit, okay? Verse 10, this is what Satan says. For it is written, referencing Scripture, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him. Listen to how Jesus replies. It is written, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. So that's your third temptation, okay? Basically what Satan does there is he distorts God's word and he tempts Jesus to test God's presence. Now, Here's what I want to do. There's a few things from this passage, from this story that we can glean, okay, that are important. I believe that these are, these are timely for each of us as individuals and by extension, our nation, all of America as a nation of people. And like I mentioned earlier, we're going to focus in on who Jesus fights and how Jesus fights. Now, the first thing I want to draw your attention to is this, is this emphasis that we see here on the spiritual over the physical. Okay, that's, that's not to say the physical is not important. It absolutely is important. But what we see here is an emphasis on the spiritual over the physical. Okay, there's a reason why Jesus fasts, why, why he denies his flesh, why he prioritizes spiritual hunger over physical hunger. Okay, and there's a reason why Jesus fasts for 40 days, not just a day or two. Okay, because the larger the need, the longer the fast. You see, Jesus does this because he's aware of something. He's aware that he is right in the middle of a spiritual battle with massive implications. Okay, hear me say this. So are you. So am I. So is our nation. All of America, that includes us, is in the middle of a spiritual battle, friends. And just like this passage, the enemy that we face is Satan. Okay, it's not other people we disagree with. It's not even COVID-19. The who Jesus fights in this passage is the same who that we fight, and that is Satan. On May 3rd, 1945, a little history for you, okay? May 3rd, 1945, this is one day before Germany's surrender in World War II. There were three German transport ships. So picture like Titanic, those kind of like boats kind of ships, right? Three German transport ships, ships the SS Cap Arcona, the SS Thielbeck, and the SS Deutschland. They, they came under attack just off the coast of Germany in the Baltic Sea, okay? And these boats, these three, these three ships, they were carrying 7,000 concentration camp survivors. So think like the Holocaust, so Holocaust survivors, okay? And as well, they were carrying uh, uh, some allied prisoners of war, okay? So if you have all of these concentration camp survivors and these allied prisoners of war, they're, they're kind of spread out across these three ships. There's 7,000 of them, okay? 
Listen, if you have studied any world history regarding World War II, like, you know, I mean, it was awful. Like, just absolutely terrible. So many tragic events, okay? But this event that I'm describing to you now is especially tragic. And what makes it so heartbreaking isn't that it happened the day before the Germans surrendered. And it isn't even who perished. But that these concentration camp survivors and these POWs on these ships, they were killed at the hands of their allies. You see, the, the Allied forces, you know, the, the Royal Air Force, they thought they were firing on the enemy. But they weren't. See, the military refers to tragedies like this <clears throat> as, as friendly fire. Maybe you've heard that before. It's where you fire on your own kind, right? So you have the Allied forces firing on these German ships that are filled with their allies. And not just their allies, but Holocaust survivors and prisoners of war, fellow soldiers. Friends, I share this story with you because I believe it's a living picture of what's happening in our country right now. And frankly, what's happening in our entire planet. Listen, the enemy we face is not other people who disagree with us or who, whom we disagree with. The true enemy is Satan. But for many of us, we're deceived. We don't see things clearly. Or we're, we're firing shots on other people that we disagree with as though they're the enemy when they are not. I mean, man, <clears throat> one of the things that, that it's, I, I see happening so often right now, and frankly, I'm so tempted to do myself, is I see so often people tearing down politicians, okay? And to be honest with you, it's, it's, it's easy to do, okay? It's very tempting to do. But I hear people say the most awful things about politicians, whether it's Trump or Biden or here in California, Gavin Newsom, or I mean, just, uh, across both, like I've said, both sides here, but just terrible things about these people, firing shots at these people. Friends, let us not forget that these are men and women that were created in the image of God with intrinsic, eternal value. Just like you, just like me. Are they perfect? Clearly not. In the same way, I'm not. And it doesn't just happen with politicians, man. Friendly fire, it happens in every family, happens in every neighborhood, in every community, and it even happens in the church. So do you get the picture here? It's a war of deception where humans are deceived into fighting each other instead of the true enemy who is at work to deceive them. And, uh, you might be saying something like, you know, well, like the other person that I'm firing at, they fired at me, like they've been firing at me. Like th that conservative, you know, politician or person or that progressive politician or, or person, or the, the white person, or the black person, or any other example you can think of, they, they fired at me, man. They shot at me. Yeah, they, they did. Absolutely, no one, is, no one is, is, uh, is diminishing that, and it hurts. But they did that because they're deceived, and they think that you are the enemy. 
So they fire shots. It's, it's, it's sinners firing at other sinners for being sinful. And all of us are participating to one degree or the other. Friends, what we're doing is we're aiming our guns at the wrong target. We're aiming our guns at the boats filled with our allies. You need to know, friends, while all this friendly fire is going down all over our nation, all over our planet, Satan is firing shots at all of us, at all people everywhere. And they, what happens is, is these shots, they, the, 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 these bullets, these spiritual, these spiritual bullets coming at us, these shots fired, they come in the form of temptations, you see. Tempting you to believe a lie. Satan did it in the Garden of Eden. He did it here in this passage with Jesus. And he's been doing it ever since. And he does it with you. And he does it with me. Every day. That brings me to my next point here that you need to understand. And what we can glean from this passage is that Satan's weapons, his weapon is deception. He's the deceiver. He's a liar, okay? In our passage here, he's firing these lies at Jesus, right? He tempts Jesus to believe things that are not true, to trust in something other than what God says is true. So in essence, what we see here is Satan is, is attempting to redefine truth, right? That's what deception is. And, he's, and he's, he's, he's throwing out the bait. He's tempting Jesus to trust in something other than what God said is true. But I want you to consider Jesus' response. We've already gone over this. We've already, we've already covered this a little bit. But I want you to consider his response. How does Jesus respond when he's attacked, when he's tempted with lies? Consider how he responds. And I want you to consider how he responds to other people who attack him as well. Not just Satan, right? Other people attacked Jesus. Sinners attacked Jesus. Fired shots at him. I mean, they crucified him. And what was his response? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They are deceived. Now, how does he respond to Satan's attacks that we saw in this passage? The temptations to believe the lie. In each temptation, Jesus fights back with the truth of the word of God. God's word is truth. Okay, we have the, the, the gift of the, of the word recorded for us in the scriptures. And Jesus is quoting scripture back to the deceiver who's attacking him with these lies. He fights back with the truth of God's word, the truth of what God says is true, right? Jesus' first uh, uh, defense and fighting back with the truth is he says, like when, when, when Satan tempts him, he says, God says man must not live on bread alone. He fires back. It's actually Satan. The truth is man is so much more than a physical being with physical needs. He's a spiritual being with spiritual needs. Man must not live on bread alone. Tempter, deceiver. And then the second way that the devil tries to tempt Jesus, what's Jesus' response? He responds with, it's written, God says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Actually, Satan, the truth is mankind's worship is reserved for God alone. Okay? God is king and he's worthy. That's what worship means, ascribing worth. And then the third temptation comes Jesus' way and how does he respond? Again, it's written, God says this. You say this, Satan? God says this. God says, do not test the Lord your God. The truth is, Satan, we were created as humans 
to trust God and not test him. What does Jesus do there? God in the flesh, fully God and yet fully man. Jesus models for us. He models for us how to fight back against our true enemy, Satan, and his lies. With what? With the truth of what God says. Because God defines what is true. He's God. Now, the final thing from this passage that I want to draw your attention to is this. Jesus wasn't just battling for himself. This wasn't just, it was Jesus and Satan, this this interaction for sure. But it wasn't just a battle that only involved Jesus. Okay? Jesus battled on behalf of others. He battled on behalf of the entire human race. Every sinner. Okay? Every person guilty of friendly fire. Now, I just want you to let, use your imagination for just a second, okay? I want you to consider what happens if Jesus gives into temptation here. Even just one time, okay? What happens if Jesus gives into temptation here? If he trusted a lie from Satan. The, the book of Romans, it talks about how sin at its core is exchanging the truth for a lie. Specifically, exchanging the truth about God for a lie. So imagine if Jesus sins, exchanges the truth for a lie, what happens? Imagine if that happens. God's plan for redemption is over. Okay, it's done. Okay, Jesus is no longer the perfect substitute in place of humanity. Everything falls apart. The implications here are are terrifying, frankly. You see, what Jesus does in this passage, it affected more than just him in that moment. The battle that he's engaging in with Satan, the spiritual battle, it affected more than just him in that moment. His obedience, his stubborn, his stubborn belief in what is true, his, his rejection of the lies that were fired at him, it affected more than him. Listen, the same is true for you. The battle that you engage in every day, whether you take ground or whether you lose ground, it affects more than just you in that moment and moving forward. Friends, mankind is interconnected. Creation is interconnected, okay? What you and I do has a direct effect on the world around us, for better or for worse. Our our country, America, right now, is a living example of this. Friendly fire happening all around us. We aim our guns at the wrong target and we fire. And then what happens is it sets off a chain reaction, okay? Sinners firing at other sinners for being sinful, who then fire at other sinners for being sinful, who then fire at other sinners for being sinful, and it spirals. And listen to me. If something doesn't change, the inevitable result of that is going to be mass casualties. Like, on every side. And who wins in that situation? The deceiver. The true enemy. 
the one who is influencing the friendly fire. Frankly, the one who's giving orders for the friendly fire. So listen, I'm going to close with this. I want to invite you to join me in an extended fast for our nation, for our country, for America. Because the the larger the need, the longer the fast. So when I say extended fast, I'm talking more than we've been doing for the last several weeks. We've been doing 24-hour fast each week. I'm talking about an extended fast. Okay, I want to invite you to join me to fast and pray that God would wake us all up that our nation would realize the truth that the enemy is not other people. It's Satan. It's the deceiver. That ultimately all the problems that we're facing right now, like our problems aren't political. Like, listen to me, no matter who you vote for, no matter who gets elected, they cannot cure sin. Our problems are not political. Our problems are not even racial. They're not financial. Our problem is sin, friends. Believing lies about God because we're deceived. But Jesus, precious Jesus, the perfect sinless substitute, our savior, the savior of the world, the, the image of the invisible God, he shows us what God is like. He's the incarnate word. He reveals truth. He is truth. Jesus is our only hope. He's my only hope. He's your only hope. He's America's only hope, and he's the planet's only hope. Because all of humanity is engaging in this foolish act of friendly fire on each other. Sinking boats, thinking they're the enemy when they're not. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to begin my fast uh, this Sunday evening. And I'm going to continue through the week, at least through the election day. We'll see what happens from there. Um, if you want to join me, if, if, if maybe if, if the practicalities of, of fasting are kind of fuzzy and you're not totally sure, and you, or maybe you've never engaged in an extended fast before and you need some practical handles on how to engage in this in a, sa- in a safe, healthy, uh, effective, and efficient way, listen back to the first message in this series. I think it's titled um, uh, The Rewards of Biblical Fasting. It's very practical, okay? I encourage you, you can, you can check back into that. Now, Throughout this entire series, as a church, we have fasted for several things. We fasted for revival and awakening, this idea of, of mass repentance inside the church, mass repentance outside the church, of turning away from sin and turning towards God, right? We fasted for health and for healing. We fasted to solve problems. We fasted for, for direction in our calling. We fasted for protection. Listen. All of these apply this week. With what we are facing uh, as a country, all of these apply. So I want to invite you to battle. I want to invite you to fight like Jesus fights here in Luke chapter 4. I want to invite you to join me in spiritually battling on behalf of our entire nation through prayer and through fasting. Because there is an enemy. It's not each other. Whether we agree or disagree. The true enemy is Satan, and he wants to deceive you, and he's been pretty effective at it. So I'm going to invite you to join me to battle against that in prayer and fasting and crying out to God, God, wake us up. Help us see the lie for what it is as a country, 
and help us turn and receive your glorious grace and love to defeat the enemy and not take in the lies. Will you pray with me? Father, my prayer is simple. We want you to hear us. We want you to change us. We want you to make us aware of the truth. Expose the lies. Expose the sin deep within us, the pride deep within us, where we justify friendly fire. Shooting at, spiritually, shooting at other sinners. God, we need your grace. So would you wake us up as we cry out to you this week in prayer and in fasting? Would you do a spiritual work in us that results in massive amounts of fruit? And God, would you please bless our nation? Millions of people who are living a deceived life and missing out on your kingdom. I want to pray for it. Um, I feel led to pray specifically for the Christians who are tuning into this, people who have maybe been following you for a long time, Jesus, who maybe have, have, have yet to take this spiritual discipline of fasting seriously. God, would you lead them into this and would you meet them in a special way through this fast? And would you show us your intervening work on each of us and especially on us as a nation? Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and America as it is in heaven, Father. We love you. And we pray these things in the precious, holy, beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Friends, love you dearly. Grace and peace to you. Uh, we'll see you soon.